Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Lately, we've been talking and writing a lot about networking. Why is this so important to us? Well, people are social animals, and no matter how much we can get done remotely, we need a connection with other people. But just as important, networking groups are where the creative collisions happen. These collisions are critical to an innovation culture like Austin's. These collisions are often where we find our business ideas, our collaborators, and sometimes even our employees. So today, we wanted to celebrate three organizations that foster great networking here in Central Texas. We start with Ambition in Motion. I interviewed Garrett Mintz, founder, about how his company builds a culture of trust and peer-to-peer learning. Well, we're joined by Garrett Mintz, founder of Ambition in Motion. Garrett, tell us a little bit about the organization. Hey, Michael. So Ambition in Motion, our vision is a world where the vast majority of people are excited to go to work. When they're there, their expectations meet reality. When they come home, they feel fulfilled. And everything we do works towards that outcome. And we believe it starts with leaders because at the end of the day, people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. And so we have our executive mastermind group to equip leaders with the community to work through their challenges because being in a leadership role can be a lonely place. And we've got leaders from Fortune 500 companies to tech startups, construction, manufacturing, banking, healthcare, real estate, I mean, you name it. And even though technically the things that we do are very different and unique, the thing that brings us together is our drive to become better people leaders. How long have you been doing this? We started it in May of 2012. So the the program officially originally started studying mentor relationships between college students and alumni. So our background is very much in industrial organizational psychology research. And so we grew what we were doing to a few hundred campuses, facilitated thousands of mentorships. And we, we started with this traditional model of saying, hey, you're a senior person, you're a junior person, you're both in the same field, connect them. We found that only 18% of those relationships lasted for six months and were considered productive and quality to both participants. So I partnered with these industrial organizational psychologists. We studied that 18% and we identified these factors that if you adjusted right before mentor relationship starts, it has a pretty profound impact on the longevity and quality of those relationships. And when I say mentorship, one of the things we found to be really effective is what we call horizontal mentorship. So not this hierarchical, I'm your mentor, you're my protege, but instead this mutual respect of, hey, I'm open to learning from you, you're open to learning from me, that had a profound impact on our mastermind group because then we could facilitate mentor relationships across industries, across fields, across sizes of companies, and people were guiding each other based on psychologically the things that drive them and that we know are preconditions for people having really effective mentorships. That's great. I think it's something I found a lot in my career as well. One of the biggest challenges we're facing in the Austin ecosystem is networks are becoming more separate and more insular. Remote work, divergent sectors, our growing geographic spread all have an impact on whether you can do a a three name tag day anymore. How do you see these trends playing out here in Austin? 
Well, I mean, I do think we can embrace the remote element of it. I mean, for our mastermind group, we've got executives from all over the world and in our mastermind group. So we bring in people from Europe, the Middle East, Canada, obviously Austin, Texas, and all across the country. But I think what's so cool is that the, there's so much power in our shared connection, our ability to, to actually communicate with each other. But I think what's most critical is that we have an element of vulnerability to all of that and that there's a shared ethos of the thing that we're driving towards. So for us, our niche is people leadership. There is a lot of other mastermind groups where there's different focuses based on maybe demographic data, things that you're trying to achieve, things that you're working towards. And I think that's fantastic. But I think if we can focus on whatever shared ethos we all have together, that's the thing that brings us together that allows us to drive forward. But to your point, you know, we may, we still can, I think we're getting back towards the three name tag day where we can go to three different networking events and, and be meeting with people. But I, I believe the connections that are built when it comes to these, these mastermind groups are more powerful when we're connecting based on a mission or a vision that individually we have for ourselves that we all share. And for us, it's this wanting to create a better work environment for our people because we want to be better leaders ourselves. Yeah, it's interesting. My first experience with mastermind groups like this was back when I was doing banking for auto dealers and the manufacturers would have what they called 20 groups where they'd pull together 20 auto dealers, single name plate, but from all over the country. And you were talking about peer mastermind groups as a perfect example of that. So are you doing yours virtually or are you doing yours in person? So we do a hybrid. So we do our group meetings virtually. So age group is between four to eight executives and we work through our challenges. Typically we have a topic that we discuss. So for example, last week our, to our topic was what is our biggest challenge with creating a culture of innovation? And some leaders would share things like, oh, well, we don't have time to innovate. We're so busy. It's the, so crazy. I got to have people going, you know, operationally hit this, 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 and this. Um, and then you have other, on the total opposite spectrum, you got other leaders that say things like, oh, well, I, our team is so innovative. We come up with solutions for problems that don't even exist. We come up with innovative ideas and then we put them out there and we create it. And then we're like, why aren't these people using this thing? And uh, it's finding that happy medium. But the way our groups work is we vote on who we want to focus on. And the nice element of voting is that if I'm voting for you, more likely than not, I'm facing that challenge myself. It's called being put in the spotlight. We ask that person questions to clarify their circumstances and situation. And then we propose, pro we propose solutions based on things that we've experienced in our life and in our work leading teams and people. But then from the in-person element of it, we every quarter host an executive symposium. So our next symposium is on December 8th. It's in Austin. The topic is how to lead during times of recession uncertainty. So we bring in three panelists. We've got great networking, great foods and beverages, and um, it's great connection between a lot of executives that are in town. But for this topic, yeah, it's, it's really relevant because whether or not a recession's coming, our people feel it. And we need to do something to create some clarity and, cert and just some certainty in their minds so then they don't feel unsafe at work. And when I say unsafe at work, I mean, like, is their job in jeopardy? Right. Yeah. First off, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during some of those discussions. And secondly, although I won't ask you, I'd like a list of those companies that said they don't have time to innovate. So I know never to invest in them. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You know, there's a, here's the thing. I think it's so easy to, it's so hard to describe because we get so busy in the day-to-day -day of what do we think we need to be doing. And then all of a sudden we become blockbuster. We become obsolete. We think like, oh, let's just keep the train run and everything's going okay. And then all of a sudden Netflix, bam, comes right up, steals out our, our, 
our business right beneath us and we weren't ready or prepared for that. So I think for a lot of teams that say they struggle to find time to innovate, it's a product of habit. I'm a big believer in atomic habits. I think if we don't set regular time, whether that be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever, to innovate, we will never innovate. You're right. If you don't do it, if you don't measure it, you're not going to get it. We have this huge influx of newcomers into the Central Texas region. Talent coming from functions, sectors, geographic uh, areas. How do you work with your leaders to build trust in these new, not so much hybrid anymore, but or not so much remote anymore, but now hybrid organizations? I'm a big fan of vulnerability-based trust. I believe that at the end of the day, for us to truly build strong bonds and rapport with people, you have to have an element of vulnerability there. Because if we can't be vulnerable with each other, I can't really help you because I've got no idea really what your challenges are because you aren't really sharing with me. So for us to really dive into deep conversations and really come up with solutions for the challenges that you're facing, you got to be willing to be vulnerable enough to own, I'm facing this thing and I don't necessarily have a solution for it. Sometimes a, a thing that I'll kind of weed executives out for our mastermind group, at least I'll ask them a few times is I'll say, oh, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing? And I'll share a challenge that they had a year ago that they came up with a solution for. So it's not not actually a challenge, but they've come to the to the reconciliation point of, oh, I'm okay with admitting I had this challenge. It's like, okay, that's cool and all, but what's the challenge you're facing now? Right. Big difference between the two. What do you see as the future for networking organizations? I think the the hundred person happy hour is going to be a thing of the past, if not now, very soon. What do you see as the future for networking? I agree with you. I think the happy hour, just for the sake of being happy for an hour, um, is going to go away. I do think, though, that the power of having a topic and learning and education within that, I, I think there's going to be this hybrid education meets networking coming together. So it's not essentially a conference where you're committing for a weekend or for multiple days where you're going to be there all day. I don't think it's it's happy hour where you're just kind of there showing up, meeting people, shaking hands, saying, here's my business card. This is what I do. I think there's a hybrid to both of that. I think that there's going to be more of these educational meets networking elements where you get a little bit of both hand in hand, where people are coming to learn something as well as network. Because, yeah, I just think that there's so much power in the knowledge that we have and can share with each other. I think one of the things that came from this remote evolution was the power of webinars, where so many thought experts and thought leaders could come share their wisdom with the community and people could learn from them. I think people are craving the in-person element of just being able to shake hands and meet with each other in person, but you don't want to just be pitched to. You don't want to just go to an event where you're meeting 15 other people that are pitching whatever thing that they're selling. You want to be building deep intentional bonds where you can align on something that you all are interested together. For us, it's all about leadership. So yeah. Great. Garrett Mintz, founder, Ambition in Motion. Thanks very much for joining us on the Austin Next podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael. Next up, we have our good friend Jay Bousseau from the Austin Forum. The Austin Forum is a unique amongst networking groups as its focus is on informing Austinites about leading-edge technology as much as it is about networking with others. We've been on the Austin Forum upload and recommend it highly. Welcome, Jay, to the Austin Next podcast. Thanks for having me. You were nice enough to have both Jason and I on the uh, Austin Forum upload, so we thought we'd return the favor. 
that was a really great episode, by the way. So I, I hope we can do this crossover more often. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a, uh, another group talk about wanting to do a podcast and uh, they said, well, we're not competing with you guys. I said, no, no, no. You don't understand. The more, the merrier. We like it. Yeah. So I find Austin Forum unique. And one of the things that I find unique about it is its focus on education and learning and really getting into technologies. I know you guys talk about it as part of your, your core definition of yourselves. Why don't you tell us real quickly about Austin Forum's approach to knowledge? Sure. So full name, of course, is the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, and that is a logical and. So we want topics that are at the intersection of technology and society. So even when we cover something like AI or blockchain or IoT, we don't cover just the technology aspects of it. We cover the societal implications. How is it advancing business? How is it helping government agencies address their mission? How does it affect education and so on? But but you're right. We believe that we have sort of a, a three-tiered mission in everything we do. Tier one is everybody who consumes our content should learn something. Even if they're an expert, they should learn something. But we have to make sure that we open all of our content with information for people who are new to that technology. It doesn't mean they're new to te technology. It might be an AI person coming to learn about blockchain or a blockchain person coming to learn about IoT and, and so on and so forth. We, we want to make sure, though, that we're covering different technology areas. So whatever you're not expert in, you can figure out, do I need to gain some expertise in this? Does my company need to integrate more of this? Do we, do we need to expand what we're doing in terms of diverse technologies that may be complementary together. So that's number one, is making sure everybody learns something. Number two is making sure that not only did they enjoy learning it that night, but that they are motivated to learn some more after the event. And we recognize some people come to our events or consume our podcasts, mostly for educational entertainment. But we want to inspire a subset of those to go learn more after. We see ourselves as starting the spark for people to broaden their tech understanding and maybe go deeper into other techs. And we have a number of attendees over the years who've credited us with making their awareness about something else interesting, inspire them and changing their careers. And the, the third level, which is really facilitated at the in-person events, is that connection that hopefully inspires collaboration and new innovation. So that's why we were very excited to bring back the in-person component to our big monthly event so that we could resume some of that in-person networking. Now, we fully embraced online. We stream everything we do. We want a big audience. The more people that learn, the better. But, but that third tier of forming those collaborations happens a little bit better, currently at least, with our in-person activities. So those are the three tiers. Everybody learn. Some of them desire to learn more, get engaged with people that are doing it, maybe find mentors, teachers, online resources, et cetera. And then a, another subset of that actually form collaborations that lead to new innovation. Well, you guys do both those, uh, those in-person networking events at the library. And then of course, there's the after party, if you will. That's always been fun as well as the whiskey socials. So that's great. Talk to me about where you see networking in Austin. There's a lot of groups right now that are out there. 
and they're talking about networking. How do you see Austin Forum fitting in as far as these other groups? So I think that we attract a certain kind of person, not a not demographically constant. Our, our ages range from 20s to 80s of attendees. There might be a little bit of a peak in the 30s, 40s, and 50s for the people that are you know, decision makers or are looking to expand their company and trying to stay on top of the latest emerging technologies. But we're very, very diverse in age, diverse in gender, diverse in the technical background, what fields of technology people come from. The only place we're probably not very diverse is that virtually everybody has at least one degree that comes to these events. That's not a requirement. We just pitch our content towards people who like to learn. And a high percentage of those people have one or more degrees, although not by all by any means, and a degree is not required for our content, but a smart, curious, active mind is. And so we think our content draws those kinds of attendees, uh, the ones that really think that they'll be better off individually or their company or their organization or their nonprofit if they are more tech savvy and understand more and sooner how technologies may change the way they live, work, play, et cetera. So I think that whereas I've been to other events in town that are more like we're all part of organization X or we're all in field Y, we bring a lot of very different people together that probably wouldn't have met otherwise. And they come to our events. And then we, as you mentioned, we have the networking event after the main event at Trifect. And it's, 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 Probably not surprising that free beer and whiskey and pizza stimulates conversation among people who might otherwise be shy. Well, creative collisions are what it's all about. That's exactly right. And I was inspired by South by Southwest Interactive for this, by the way. I always like things like TEDx that covers many topics, South by uh, Interactive that covers many topics. But South by Interactive was not just an inspiration in diversity of tech programming in how different technologies impact society, but also in the creative collisions that happen when you attend it in person. You started this in 2006, if I have it right? Yeah, when I was director of the Texas Advanced Computing Center in 2006. Yeah, a lot's changed in 16 years. What do you see in terms of- Oh, Austin wow, Forum? it's 16, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't actually done the math. Um, so when I started it forever ago, the goal was always to have it come downtown. And we used to do it up at the research campus of UT in the early days. Then we made it most of the way downtown at the AT&T Center. So wait, 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 wait. When, hold on. When you say the research campus, you're talking about what's now the domain, the Pickle campus there? The J.J. Pickle Research Campus, okay. yes. The domain is across the street. Yes. The J.J. Pickle Research Campus has been there long before the domain. I'm not sure it'll be there long after the domain seems to be engulfing everything. But the, the research campus has a number of world-class laboratories and facilities there but it's you know it's farther from the center of mass of austin especially in those days and i didn't say far from it i just said a little farther but we always wanted to be in the very center and that was downtown now we didn't know of course there was going to be a pandemic and people were going to stop coming in person we also didn't anticipate traffic would get so bad in austin that it makes people even though we're in the center it's still an impediment to attend events in person if you're coming from too far away during rush hour. So in a way, the silver lining of the pandemic is we can deliver our content 
streamed to people for whom just traffic and congestion might be inhibitors for it. That's probably been the, the pandemic and the growth of Austin have both contributed to us now being much more online than we've been. Because we, we always valued the networking. We valued that tier three I mentioned a little while ago. So we always wanted to be in person, but now we're embracing both. We hope someday we'll be great at hybrid events. We'd love to be the very best at hybrid events, but still challenging and not all the tools work the way they're supposed to all of the time. Indeed, it is hard. I have to tell you, your Austin Forum upload, the podcast, part of the research we did to start this podcast was an episode that you guys did about three years ago on the future of Austin. And it was fun to listen to because you described a lot of things that were going to happen. What, of course, you couldn't realize at the time was the pandemic was on its way. And I remember listening to that podcast, and I just listened to it again probably about a month ago. And everything that you guys predicted that was going to be five, six, seven years out has come to fruition in only three years, in large part because of the need to do First off, we went from in-person to totally remote, now to hybrid events, and just the rapid influx of folks coming here into the Austin area. So we always ask this question, Jay, what's next Austin? Well, now I feel like there's pressure since we got it right uh, the last time, but... (laughs) (laughs) You're my expert. um, I I think that one of the things that I, I do fully expect in Austin is continuing diversification of the tech sector. Our history is as a semiconductor city and used to be design and manufacturing of chips. A lot of the manufacturing moved out, not all, but a lot. We're starting to see a resurgence of that though. It's just happening. So semiconductor uh, design though, has always had a strong presence here since the beginning of our days as a tech city. So we really have a tremendous expertise in this. I mean, Intel has designers here, NVIDIA, AMD, ARM, IBM. That's five tremendous companies that are designing in part their next silicon here. And we're starting to see interest from Samsung and others in Austin as well. So, you know, I, I project that, uh, whereas it, for a time, it seemed like maybe we wouldn't retain our semiconductor crown when Semitech moved to New York or whatever. I think it's really clear that MCC and Semitech built a solid foundation for us, and we're going to be as strong or stronger in semiconductor as we've ever been. Well, I should say definitely stronger. And I think of us as the leading silicon tech city in the country now, even on par with Silicon Valley in that area of tech. Now, where we're not on par with them is software. We have a number of great software companies here. Many are small. We don't have too many of the large ones based here, although in the last several years, we've seen Google and Amazon and Facebook, now Meta, populate skyscrapers here and then populate second skyscrapers here. So we're starting to see a lot more of the software industry grow. And I think that's where a lot of the growth will be. And then the third area, and we covered it in the Austin Forum recently, is the health tech, med tech, biotech area. That has not happened as fast as I would have predicted. I thought it would happen even faster, and that was probably a bit naive. There's so many regulations. It's not like 
inventing a smartphone game, right? There's just so many hurdles to cross to deliver a great new health technology. And I think we're doing great. And organizations like BioAustin are helping with that. And you mentioned one to me before we began recording MedTech Connect. And uh, I'm certainly happy to see these. I do think it will happen. I think it's inevitable that our, our having a medical school finally and having a tremendous biological sciences uh, set of departments at the University of Texas, plus this creative culture and this strong tech community, all that comes together. And I think maybe it's five, 10 years, but I think we really do become one of the leaders in biotech going forward. And then of course, the, the last thing I never would have imagined was that Tesla would move here and SpaceX would move here, but we're clearly becoming a leader in space technology with Firefly here and SpaceX here and some others in and around Austin. So space tech, it looks like is surprise. Austin's going to be a leader in space tech going forward too, probably. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. EVs, space tech, 3D printed homes. We're lucky enough to have a real diverse base here in Austin. I think it uh, has nothing but good things for us in the future. Jay Broussard, let's see, CEO and founder, president and founder. I forget what your title is. Uh, founder and executive director of Austin Forum. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the Austin Next podcast. Thank you for having me. Finally, Jason talks to MedTech Connect. Their slogan is breaking silos to advance the MedTech ecosystem here in Central Texas. Jawad Ali leads this new group as they work to strengthen our nascent healthcare innovation ecosystem. So Jawad, tell us about your organization. What is really the mission and vision of Austin MedTech Connect? Thanks, Jason. So Austin MedTech Connect was formed to break the silos in the Central Texas region to create a digital MedTech superpower. There was a recent quote by Jim Breyer who said that the application of computation in healthcare and life sciences would be the financial and impact opportunity of this decade. And we see that this region has so many of the ingredients that, that are needed in this space. You know, we not only have a lot of the engineers, software developers, investors, clinicians, you know, small medtech companies and law and you know, a lot of CEOs and C suite people from larger medtech companies. We also have a lot of the large tech companies. So we see Google, Meta, Amazon here, and we really feel like this creates really amazing combination of capabilities. And what's missing is that interconnectedness. During COVID, I met with probably 35 people across sectors, and I felt like they should all be connected with each other, but they really weren't. Uh, and so that's our goal is to really catalyze this region's potential in the area of medical technology, focusing on the you know higher level technology and, and the software side. So, I mean, you and I have connected a lot offline and you know we are definitely exploring the ecosystem here. There are already, before you formed you know, MedTech Connect, a lot of other life science, biosector, med device oriented networking groups. Really, why, why build another one? Why, why not just kind of go inside and you know, help out there? For sure. Yeah. And that's a great question. And I asked myself that question a lot. You know, when I first started exploring the space, you know, I, I do I do consulting in the mech tech field and I want to be more connected. And I joined all the organizations. I met all the leaders and I think they're all doing an amazing job. And we're not trying to compete with anybody. I, I don't think anybody has a specific mission that we have, which is to really connect all the different sectors for 
the digital medtech space. They all have a certain focus, whether it's on the academic side, whether it's on you know more of the bio side, whether it's specifically for the industry side. I kind of wanted to play devil's advocate, and I wanted someone to tell me actually, like, why don't you work with us to do this? Or we're already doing this; you just didn't know about it. And as I went about meeting with all these people, joining all the organizations, going to the events, you know, I really felt like this need wasn't being addressed. I'm a full-time surgeon. I've got two little kids. I wasn't necessarily looking for something to do that wasn't going to be meaningful, but I really felt like you know the potential of this region was being held back by all the siloing, and and so that that that's why you know we formed the organization. Yeah, those those side gigs can become um, all-encompassing and all-consuming. So I definitely understand yeah. that. Yeah, you know how that is. Yeah, and something else, uh, you know, want to get it on air because you and I debate this uh, all the time. So you think about, you know, looking at connections in the digital med tech space. How are you defining that and where are the boundary lines that you're putting in place? I know. So digital med tech, I don't know if people are using that term. I kind of came up with it. So what I'm defining it as is what people classically think of as medical technology, like orthopedic implants, surgical instruments, and then kind of the next generation of tech-enabled technology. I had a meeting with someone from Synchron today about their, you know, Stentro device, which is an implantable brain device. And and then all, all the way over to the purely- They actually beat, uh, they beat Elon Musk into humans. Yeah. Yeah. No, pretty, pretty cool. Um, and then all the way to the pure software device, you know, like things like OR optimization and, you know, digital patient engagement. And, you know, that's just the beginning of it. So that's kind of how I define it. I know it's open to interpretation and I'm happy to talk to other people about it. You know, there's also the stuff more in the bio side, like using AI to generate like novel small molecules and stuff like that. So it's not super cleanly defined, but you got to got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think as, as the tool sets grow, they start to have the ability, that line becomes really blurred, right? As you said, you know, synthetic biology, tech bio starts to kind of look the same as this kind of platform technology in the clinical space as well. So- how are you trying, you said the mission is something different, right? Trying to connect people and getting rid of the silos in the space. How are you trying to drive these unique creative collisions that you weren't seeing are happening? Yeah, that's a good question. I know you and Tom Singer talked a little bit about it in your last episode. So, you know, there's different kinds of events that happen. One is kind of the big, you know, happy hour, everyone comes, you kind of hang out. And I think there's a role for that. What it's not addressing is, you know, having a density of the relevant people at the event, right? For it to lead to meaningful, not just conversations, but relationships that further people's business and pro- professional objectives. And so we're, we're doing a combination of events. One is that smaller in-person dinner event, which you went to last time, about 16 people invite only kind of really thoughtfully put together guest list. Other one is a 75 person larger event with a panel and then more of the networking side of it, still invite only, still kind of, you know, with a focused guest list. And we're going to alternate between the two. And then in addition to that, because in this day and age, I think in-person definitely has a role, but you have to have some kind of continuity online. And so we're building our online community that's going to be kind of a bespoke place that people can have conversations and then take those conversations into other areas. And, and we're going to have staff that will help moderate and direct those online conversations. So that's something we're thinking about how to do. I'm looking for feedback on you know what that could look like. Well, one of the things that I've seen recently and what I really enjoyed about the discussion group that I attended uh, through you guys 
it was very much focused on ideas. Now, I'm not saying the transactional nature of like, hey, I need this, I'm looking for a job or I need this kind of help or this kind of resource. But it was one of the few times where it really, and I know for us, the topic was, what does the ecosystem need, right? And I think the same thing when, as you're building out that, you know, digital sphere, there's a place for the, I need, I have, I want. There's also a place for the, how do we drive that discussion of ideas? What was fascinating by having that, I think, idea-driven it was the most unique group that I had ever been to in terms of in the life science, right? You had actual cl clinicians there. You had sales reps from, you know, large pharma and med tech companies. So it was very different than the like, well, I have services I want to sell you. It was like, oh, no, but their perspective was something unique that kind of brought to the table. And so that I kind of ap appreciated very well. So what do networking and industry groups need to do differently to kind of better serve the members, both individuals and companies? I think I think two things. I think one is really knowing all the people involved. And I, I think in some sense, like being a clinician who's working in med tech is helpful in that because I'll work pretty directly with a bunch of different categories of people, right? Whether it's healthcare leaders or salespeople and things like that, people that a lot of the other industry folks might not interact with. So I think that's one thing is really knowing your audience in a deep level, like knowing like what their needs are, what they're trying to do. So that's the first thing. And I think second, secondly, I think is having a, a, a goal that's not transactional, like you mentioned, you know, like I think a lot of organizations, their goal is to, whether it's to drive membership or whether it's to, you know, make money through a conference or whether it's through creating deals for themselves or whether it's to, you know, furthering the academic institution's mission, right? Which is which is similar, but but not exactly aligned. So I think those two things I would say are, 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 the, are the things that we're hoping will lend to our strength is really knowing uh, the different members of the of the ecosystem and, and understanding you know what they want to do and then serving that in hopefully not a self-focused way or, or not not a transactional way i think the more people that we get to be thinking from a second order perspective of if the austin ecosystem thrives i don't care whether it's the life science whichever one we're talking about then i will thrive and give it that kind of, it's a little more, there's a little more faith behind it. There's a little more that this is going to happen. I think the better, you know, the better off we all end up being in these kind of collaborative and, and connection type of groups. So million dollar question, <laughs> what's next, Austin? Yeah. You know, I've been waiting for this question my whole life, Jason. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I could pose it to you then. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think, I think for us, I really see a huge opportunity in this digital medtech space. I really think we have a lot of the key ingredients. I think that, you know, we're at a unique point in time, a unique point in space. And CS Freeland kind of alluded to this as well. You know, I think you see all of the awesome things that have happened in Austin over the last, you know, 30 years. But I think you look forward like to the next 10 years. And I think there's a potential here to be a real force in changing not just, you know, the medical technology space, but also providing solutions for patients and for clinicians to really impact how care is delivered, the modalities we have to deliver it, the modalities we have to measure that, you know? Um, I really think that Central Texas ha has, has a large role to play in that. I love it and agree with it. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, thank you. Sometimes it's hard to figure out which networking groups are the right ones for you. Today, we've taken a look at three groups with very different goals and tactics. If we left out your favorite, please let us know on our website, austinnextpodcast.com. So what's next, Austin? 
We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.